fun for them because uh, they just started this year, uh, well, uh, the school year, and they already have one high school player with a NCAA scholarship to play football coming out of that. And they're training people in the cause of Christ. And so uh, shout out to Mark Toro and the tribe. If you want to play offensive line and you're interested, that's Saturday nights at about 630, I believe, in the MCA gymnasium. Uh, we are in a series on uh, becoming our full potential in Christ, and uh, we are talking about Ruth saying that the four most important relationships in your life are uh, the best friend uh, or friends, your people or your tribe, who your God will be, and how you will uh, navigate the commitment to those decisions. And so in light of that, I picked this cartoon because social media is not social or media. It says, I finally realized it, that people are prisoners of their phones. That's why it's called cell phones. And uh, so you're imprisoned to your phone. And uh, then I kind of like this one as well. It says in the cartoon, in case you can't read it, it's old people. And they're saying, a heart, an eagle, a mermaid. It says, in 2055 Retirement Village, residents play a game of guess what the tattoo used to be. <laughs> and so uh, I thought that was pretty clever. And uh, so we're talking about tribes. And I want to honor Alaska natives in the house. If you are, if you're an Athabascan, an Anupian, a Clinkett, a Haida, uh, I can't, there are 278 tribes officially recognized in Alaska. So if you're Alaska native, I want you to stand up. We're going to cheer like maniacs for you. Check out all our brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Woo! All right. Exciting. So this is from 1782, 1782, thousands of Europeans are Indians, and we have no examples of even one of those Aborigines having from choice become European. 1782, thousands of Europeans are Indians, and not one ever chose to be a European. There must be in their social bond something singularly captivating and far superior to anything to be boasted of among us. So what they're saying is, they're saying that tribal way of life is more attractive than the European way of life. So uh, pretty soon Europeans came to America and, and there were wars. And in these wars, the American uh, Indian or native or the various tribes would take prisoners of war. They take prisoners of war. Obviously, that's what you do in war. But when the war was over, the Europeans didn't want to leave because they liked the way of life better with the tribe than they liked it in the European kind of uh, linear thinking, uh, drive, etc. And uh, when we come to the subject of who will be our people, we realize as we analyze it that, in fact, maybe part of our world pushes us toward Lone Rangerism. N.T. Wright is a theologian from England. It is as impossible, unnecessary, and undesirable to be a Christian all by yourself as it is to be a newborn baby all by yourself. It's undesirable, unnecessary, and impossible to be a Christian by yourself as it is to be a 
baby by yourself. This guy, John Joseph Powell, has a beautiful statement I'd like for you to think with me today. It's an absolute human certainty that no one can know his own beauty or perceive a sense of his own worth until it has been reflected back to him in the mirror of another loving, caring human being. And so we pick up the idea of who are my people? Who is my tribe? Uh, am I am I a lone ranger trying to reach my own goals? Maybe you know maybe you know a, a husband and wife team and and uh, they're all like going for it and and uh, her goal is to be at the top of this structure. His goal is to be at the top of that structure and they reach it and lose their marriage. They lose the tribe that they travel with. A joke is, a man said, I'm going to prove my love to you, honey. And I, I swam the widest ocean to prove my love for you. I climbed the tallest mountain to prove my love for you. I made the biggest dollar to prove my love for you. And she divorced him because he was never home. So when it comes to the way we are redesigning our thinking or reprioritizing, we realize that maybe who we travel with is as important as how we travel there. And my, my uh, main topic today is what a joy it is to be in your tribe. What a joy it is to be in your group, to, to have the benefit of your, of your insight, the benefit of your sense of humor, and the benefit of your creativity. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're a tribe, and, and we're a group, and, and we're journeying to Father's house. From my childhood, we had a song, Oh, Come and Go With Me to My Father's House. This generation has another song. I, I think it's by Toby Mac. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. A big, big house where we can play football. The idea is we're, we're going to Father's house. And going to Father's house is not defeat. It's victory. But because of my childhood where dying would be uh, untimely, I was sort of raised as a as, as three years old in particular, fight, don't give in to this disease, win it, fight it, You, we want you here. And I get that when, when you're young, you're fighting to live, you know, if you have a disease, you're fighting to make it. And so sort of for me, it kind of dialed in that death was sort of an enemy and and over the years, I've tried to retrofit that. The last second I breathe here, I'm in Father's house. The last second I say goodbye to my loved ones here, I'm with the God who loved me more than any human being could ever love me. And to somehow dial in on that in our lives, that Father's house is a really cool place. And it's a place of perfect love. It's a place of unconditional favor. It's a place of, of uh, ideal condition. And, and so we're journeying to Father's house. From conception, we begin that journey. I wanted to add that line as opposed to the states that are saying in the last trimester, even on the day of birth, a baby's life can be snuffed out. Brothers and sisters, from the second of conception, you're on your way to daddy's house. You're on your way. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3 says, hey, I'm helping y'all get to dad's house. And uh, uh, I'm helping you get to father's house. And from the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we gain insight into an exclusively Christian experience called fellowship. So my theory today in this talk is I am on my way to Father's house, and I must be careful who I add to my fellowship on my way to Father's house. Fellowship is something far different than friendship. Yeah, y'all have your best friends, I'm sure, and you have friends that you love to hang out with, and it's great, and it's cool. But fellowship is a little deeper than that. And so you might hear the fellowship of the Sacred Heart, or you might hear the the sorority or the fraternity, and, and they'll call these things fellowships, and in fact, they're not, probably. Biblical fellowship is something that is in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in this deep unity, this deep communion, one with the other, all three separate, all three together. And that is called the fellowship of the Godhead. And Christian fellowship is when the fellowship of the Godhead and I begin to have that same fellowship. That say, God, I want to be in fellowship with the fellowship of the Godhead, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you say, I want to be in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then the relationship we have together and the relationship we have with God is called fellowship. It's a far different thing than friendship. It's a far different thing than acquaintances. For example, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, notice the Trinity. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the way the fellowship of God is happening, happen in your life. Wow, what a great thing to be able today to say, you know, I am able by God's grace, I am able by the character of the Trinity to be at a fellowship level with my brothers and sisters. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the Trinity in perfect fellowship, and we're invited into that perfect fellowship. One song says, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms of God. And so when we take a look at the tribe idea, we realize that sort of the pressure on the American church, the pressure on Americans in general, is you go once a week for about an hour and 15 minutes in our services, an hour and 15 minutes, you talk for about three or four minutes on your way to your car, and then you have six days where where that doesn't happen in your life. You have six days maybe where you don't see these brothers or sisters again. And and uh, I'm hoping to show maybe there's a different view of that available in the Bible. First John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you 
so that you too may have fellowship with us. Who is the us? It's people. So John and his buddies in 1 John, they're saying, you know, when you come into this relationship with God and we're in relationship with God, then we have this fellowship between each other. The second part of the verse says, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So uh, maybe you're hanging out with your buddy and you talk for 30 minutes, and when you're done, you think, that was empty. Or worse yet, you hang out and talk to your buddy for a half hour, and when you're done, you go, that was draining. You know, that was just draining. Other times, you hang out with a brother or a sister, whichever it is, for 10, 15 minutes. You connect to the fellowship of God in each other's heart, and you leave invigorated, and you leave re-energized, and, and you think, man, that was good for my soul. Because there's a, there's a fellowship of, uh, uh, of God's grace. There's a fellowship of, of a deeper encounter. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said years ago, and I memorized it, he said, Christians often come together like marbles, and they hit each other, and that's a collision. Christians often come together like marbles in a collision, but we are supposed to come together like grapes in collusion. Marbles collide, grapes collude, and make juice. And when we take a moment to just look around, I hope, now this is, it's, it's very thought provoking in, in a, in an American church. I hope the next time I see you isn't next Sunday. I hope that we aren't just weekend uh, warriors. I hope we're actually saying, I'm, we're in this fellowship and, and my number is your, my wife's always on my case because so many people have my phone number and, and, uh, and thank you for honoring it. And I don't get too many 3 a.m., 4 a.m. calls. I did that for 30 years. I now assign that to Blaine. All right? So uh, God bless you, Blaine, for answering all those midnight calls. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I, do you really want a church where there's an invisible glass between the people and the clergy? And and uh, and I know you got to be safe and all of that, but... But I have friends, churches, you can't get to the preacher for all the security. They all got the little monitors in their ears. They got their guns on their, on their, uh, deal. And, and, uh, we want to be safe. And I understand a friend of mine in Anchorage preaches in a bulletproof vest every Sunday. I'm tracking with that. I get it. But what I want is I'd rather die being your friend than live being separated by a glass barrier between, because it's a fellowship. I want to laugh when you laugh. I want to cry when you cry, just like you want to do with the brothers and sisters in your life. And and so what we find is that Christianity is, in fact, a common shared life. It's not a weekend event. It's a common shared life. We learn this in Acts chapter 2, where we're headed in this talk. We learned that we, uh, by the way, I think I have a picture. One of our, our beloved members passed away a few hours ago. Her name is Connie Ordway. And do we have a picture there, uh, of Connie? It'll come there in just a minute. And, uh, 
And part of the interesting thing for me is as Connie, as uh, many of you know, Connie, she struggled with diabetes uh, type one her whole life and, and they begin to amputate. And so uh, pretty soon you'd see her in the hall with no legs. And, uh, and then uh, maybe six months ago, they had to remove both kidneys. And then uh, dialysis stopped working. And so when dialysis doesn't work and you don't have kidneys, you don't have a very long uh, tenure on the planet. And uh, what was refreshing to me is to say, you know what, Connie, you have a tribe of people that love you. You have a group of people that care about your life. You have a, and, uh, and this particular one was tough for Blaine as he'd go to visit and uh, he's usually really tough and say, you know, I can just visit anybody. But uh, he'd sit in my office and go, Kent, this is tough. This is really hard visiting because we knew there was no earthly hope at all. But we also knew that Connie was on her way to father's house. And I think, uh, Nancy, I think you were part of ministry to uh, Connie as well. And, and, uh, and so, you know, when you're, when you're navigating this common shared life, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, you called me this week, th- not this week, yesterday. You texted me. I'm just praying for you and I'm wondering if there's any, anything in specific I can pray for you about. And, and I, to just go, man, I am so blessed to be in a common shared life with a lot of people that, that in fact people care and that people love and, and that people are generous. And so the question I'm asking today is, with whom am I in fellowship on my way to Father's house? Who am I, who am I, who am I letting into the spiritual walk I have? Who am I letting into that, that place with God? Let's use Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So who am I letting in that Psalm 91 secret place? And who's letting me into their Psalm 91 secret place? And together we are traveling with the grace and the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer nailed it better than anybody could ever nail it. The believer feels no shame as though he were still living too much in the flesh when he yearns for the physical presence of other Christians. So Bonhoeffer, by the way, a few years after writing this, he will die in a a lonely prison cell at the hands of Hitler. So it's sort of a prophecy about where he's headed. But he said this, you're not carnal, there's nothing wrong with you when you long for the presence of a Christian, a physical presence of other Christians. Why? Man was created a body, the Son of God appeared on earth in the body, he was raised in the body, in the sacrament the believer receives the Lord Christ in the body, and the resurrection of the dead will bring about the perfected fellowship of God's Uh, spiritual, physical creatures. The believer, therefore, lauds the creator, the redeemer, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the bodily presence of a brother. It laud, gives honor, gives praise. So for me, in this illustration, I praise God for you as as a human being in the body in the same room with me. What a wonderful thing to have, to have your presence here today. And I hope that I'm somewhat of a blessing in your life. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. 
So you're just there in the hospital. This happened to me hundreds of times in my life. You're in the hospital and I walk in as Kent. I'm just a fellow struggler in life. I walk in as Kent. But to you, I'm the presence of Christ. It's just like, how does that happen? But it, that, that, that's what happens. And, and Bonhoeffer is saying that the believer just praises God for the bodily presence of another person that walks in this fellowship with God. Visitor and visited in loneliness, recognizing each other, the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother to brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Amen. He's saying, if you're in the hospital and you get a visit and it's a joy to have a brother in Christ in your hospital room, how much more is it a joy to live among the fellowship 24-7-365? Amen. How it's so cool. It is true, of course. This is kind of the, the corrective word. It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. I remember watching uh, 10 Keys to Healthy Relationships by by uh, uh, a guy that did uh, video marriage training. And uh, so I'm watching that, and uh, and he says, he says uh, when your wife walks in the room, uh, how do you respond when your wife walks in the room? And... Uh, and uh, he pulled out uh, an old beat-up violin, and uh, like the strings were kind of loose, and, and he holds it up like this, and nobody responds. And then he said, let's take a look closer, and he turns it like this and reads inside, Stradivarius, 1700-something, and he goes, this violin is worth several million dollars, and everybody goes, <gasps> he goes, isn't your wife better than a violin? And when your wife walks in the room, do you ever go, I can't believe I get to be in fellowship with you. And it's so awkward. You guys think I'm nuts. But can you imagine what wife is it like? Thank you for being happy that we're in fellowship. So just try it out. I know you're like not into this, but just try it. Turn to the person near you and go, oh, I can't believe I'm in fellowship with you. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of your heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it. Your fellowship, it's grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Praise God for his grace of the fellowship that he allows us to be in. And we are extremely blessed by this grace. So it's very important that we are careful in selecting whom we let into the fellowship. Henry Cloud in the book, The Power of the Other, he says, your own performance is either improved or diminished by the other people in your scenario. That's a business book. He's a Christian. He wrote it for the business world. 
for us today, your own fellowship is either improved or diminished by the other people in your fellowship. For example, Ruth was improved by Naomi. Samson was diminished by Delilah. Don't you wonder what Samson would have been if he had never met that girl? You know what I'm saying? It's like sexual sin messed up this guy that had some potential. Paul was improved by Barnabas. David was diminished by Saul, but he was improved by Jonathan. And so when we are, are on our way to our father's house and we, we have this intimate relationship with God and the potential of intimate relationship with each other, it's very important that we monitor and, and give thought to who it is we let into this special relationship in our lives. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These are seven ingredients, seven early signs of fellowship. Notice the last line is that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a beautiful thing. Number one, it says the apostles' teaching. They had better thinking than the Jews did because they knew the truth of Jesus Christ. But he didn't only add to the church every day because they had better thinking. He added to the church every day because they had better living. It was better to be in the household of the fellowship than it was to be a Jewish person. So think for a moment. You are a Jewish person and you come to faith in Christ. Your family disowns you. We have nothing to do with you. You now have violated Judaism. You come to Christ and with, uh, within a couple of chapters of Acts chapter 2, they're already killing Stephen, the first martyr. Jesus maybe, but Stephen considered the first martyr. They're already saying, if you, if you believe what we believe, you are going to be cut off completely from your people. But guess what? We have a better people for you to be part of than the one you're cut out of. The biggest illustration in my life that I am aware of is uh, I was 18 in Calcutta, India. Mark Buntane said, I'd like for you to meet this guy, the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. So I was privileged to meet him, thought I was meeting him because he was the leader. He said, no, that's one reason. He said, tell him your story. You see, in Oriental theology, you are not a Christian until you're baptized. They call it baptismal regeneration. And so we say you're saved the moment you confess with your mouth. But in Oriental theology, you confess with your mouth, but your salvation is at your baptism. And so this guy, he was a young man. He was, uh, he confessed the Lord Jesus Christ and then Mark Buntain baptized him. And on his way home, he was a Hindu prior. On his way home, his Hindu family jumped out of the, out of wherever they were hiding and they beat him up. And then they wrapped him with 220 volt wire and plugged him in. 
and threw him in a tub of water. I don't know how he lived. Why? Because he was leaving that tribe for the people of God. And he said, just in case you doubt, he pulled his shirt down like this, and I saw the burn marks all the way around where that wire had been over his neck and chest, and that's as far as we saw. But guess what? The second he left the tribe of lost pantheistic Hinduism, he came into the tribe of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this this begs to be asked. Are we living our life so that if you leave Hinduism, you have a better tribe? Are we looking around going, hey, join the tribe, join the tribe. Sure, we have the apostles teaching, but we also have this thing called the fellowship. It's called not just fellowship. Half the Bible say fellowship. The other half say the fellowship. In fact, in Greek, it says the fellowship. And so on paint night, you say, hey, it's paint night. We're in a fellowship of paint night. Not necessarily. You're at a paint night. You're at a friend's paint night. But if in that painting, you are dialing into that fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and your sister is dialing into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you dial in on each other's depth in God, now at paint night, you're in a fellowship. All of a sudden, it shifts from friendship. You can be a friend with anybody. You can only be in fellowship with a follower of Jesus Christ. For the Bible itself says, what fellowship hath light with darkness? And so a shout out to the parents who are guarding the tribe of your kids. Be bold in guarding the tribe of your kids. Uh, my mom, my mom was a, a ninja mom on the tribe. She let me get in. I hated every minute of it. I promise you. I hated every minute of ninja mom. Now that I'm out of it, I thank God for ninja mom. I shudder to think what I'd have been like if I'd gone to all those keggers, if I'd gone to all the cocaine parties, if I'd gone to all the marijuana and all the drugs. I wonder what I'd be if my mom had let me get in that tribe. Thank you, moms. Thank you, dads, for saying, hey, my kid's tribe really matters. So there's seven things. I'll go through them quickly. The fellowship. Say, so you know what? I'm, I devote myself to the fellowship. And I, I do that today, just in case you're doubting. I commit myself to you. I devote myself to this particular group called Muldoon Community Assembly. We have 11 services on the weekend. A lot of them I don't get to, but I devote myself to the whole thing. We have 39 churches in Burkina Faso. I'm with our church in the Netherlands in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have churches in Australia. And to say, you know what? This isn't a fly-by-night friendship. This is something worked out by God in the heavenlies. And it's my heart for God and your heart for God. And we're in it for life. They devote themselves to Holy Communion and the prayers. So the first breaking of bread in verse 42 is Holy Communion. And so I hope you have a deep devotion to Holy Communion. We've added communion every Sunday. It tweaks some people's brains because they think we should guard it and and guide and and you have to be this, that, or the other to get communion based on the verse that says some of you have died because you approached it in an unworthy manner. But brothers and sisters, is anybody here worthy to take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus? We are all unworthy. Jesus is worthy. And so when we receive communion, we receive it in the worth of Jesus. We receive it under his, uh, under his authority, under his blessing and under his favor. 
And I encourage you, communion is a vital part of the fellowship. I don't know where the Assemblies of God, whom I dearly love, came up with the crazy notion it's once a month. I don't know where that came up with. It says as often as you do this, not as seldom, as often as you do this. So you're devoted to communion. And it says all who believed were together. Devote yourself to being together with the fellowship. Say, you know what? I commit to being with the fellowship. And uh, I think in this passage, it was every day. Now you're going to say, are you, do you think it's possible? I don't know if it's possible in our culture, but I know this, God will add to the church daily, those who are being saved, when we're more involved in each other's life of being together. Have you ever had an assignment, you married guys, have you ever had an assignment and you were working on it and it was just not as fun as when you were working on it and your wife was in the same room working on something else? You weren't even working on the same thing, but just knowing that the fellowship of your family is in the same room has this incredible, you know what? We commit to being together with the fellowship. Devote to sharing with the fellowship. They had all things in common. And uh, and this is something that we're still learning in the Western world. Uh, let's say you have a motorhome. All the motorhomes, God bless you. How many days are you using it? Let's say you're using it five days a summer. That leaves 360 days to share your motorhome with the fellowship. One, yeah, like no waste. Keep your hand, okay. Let's go to something you'll like even better. You have a cabin on the beach in Maui. And you're there one month a year. That means 11 months is available to the fellowship, right? No, it doesn't work out that way, but it should. It should. In Burkina Faso, if there's one pound of meat and 10 people, they make sure all 10 people get a slice of the one pound of meat. In the U.S., the first guy tries to get the whole pound himself. And we learn to say, no, you first. I'm in your fellowship. You, you, you being blessed is more important than me being blessed. And, and we learn this sharing with the fellowship and we devote ourselves to meeting the needs of the fellowship. One, one that I, I, I still remember, uh, Joe Oskalkoff. Some of you will, are long term enough to remember Joe. Joe was about 80 years old or so. I can't remember, 78 or so. And he came to me and, and, uh, He's in my office, and I could tell he was nervous. I say, what's up, Joe? And he said, uh, I got a big problem, he said. I said, what's that? He said, I live on Social Security. I said, I understand. And I'm on, Med- is it Medicaid? I'm on Medicaid. I said, I understand. And then he burst into tears. I can't afford my wife's medicine. I can't afford my wife's medicine. The one style of church says we don't have a fund to buy medicine which we don't. We do not have a fund to buy our medicines. The other style of church is, you know what? You're in the fellowship. Let me call around and see if I can find some people and come up with the $750 a month it takes to buy your wife's medicine. One's a fellowship. One is a Western congregation. And uh, this way to say, I want to share the fellowship. 
You know, I burned out a couple years ago. I can't remember how long ago. Uh, I'm not burned out now, but I was then. And uh, I just took time off. And long story, uh, years ago, we had a shooting during church. And uh, right over here on my left, and a guy came in. He stood back there. He came up here, pulled out a 357, said to his girlfriend, let's leave. She said no. He shot her and shot himself, right? It was pretty traumatic. Well, years later, I'm up here preaching, and a guy comes in, and he stands in the same place that guy stood, and he reached in his pocket to get what I thought was tithe the first time, but instead it was, a, and, and I just froze right here in front of everybody. Anybody here that day? I just go, I can't go on. I started to gag, and everybody goes, what's wrong with him? Well, that's what was wrong with him. I burned out. And, uh, and in that process of uh, burning out, I began to realize It's easy to burn out when you do it alone. It's easy to burn out when you think, I'm carrying this thing. And so here I am trying to carry all, you know, I carry about uh, God and I, but we carry about 60 churches in the world. This group right here, we're carrying about 60 churches in the world. So I'm reading Jeremiah in this condition, and the Bible verse leaps out at me the first time ever it leaped out at me. God says to Israel, you made idols. And if you're going to make idols, they got to be good. Make them big. So they made big idols. He said, oh, those don't, they need to be covered in gold. If you're going to worship an idol, cover your idols in gold. So they covered all the idols in gold. So now they got these really big idols made out of gold. And God said, time to move. And they said, dude, they're heavy. And they're big. He said, they're right. Here's the quote. I am he who would carry you. You get it? They had to carry the idols they made. But if they had followed the living God, he would have carried them. So when you're in a fellowship, and I said to, I said to my friends, I can't take the work. They said, the work isn't killing you. It's the way you approach it that's killing you. And Larry, it's not what's happening outside of you. It's what you let do in inside of you. And I realize in that process, I'm a much better human being when I let you speak into my life. I'm a much better human being when I let people meet the needs. So I say to my neighbor, I say to my neighbor, uh, I'm going to be around all summer. I took the whole summer off. They go, great, what's up? I said, I burn out. My job is killing me. This is my neighbor that I don't, I don't, we don't talk spiritual things very often. I said, so I, I just, you know, you're going to see me mowing the lawn. I'm probably going to be like catching butterflies. I don't know what I'm doing because my whole life is work, but I can't even, I can't even think straight right now. My job is too heavy. He said, you're wrong. I said, what? He said, you're wrong. You don't have a job. You have a calling from God. And sometimes God's call is too heavy for you to carry. And you, I'm just sitting there thinking, my neighbor, who I didn't even think knew the Lord, is just helping pour into my life right here, right now. And then here's the one we are pretty good at. Eat together every day. <laughs> yes! Woo! Except you all cheat. You don't eat. You drink Kaladis and Starbucks and Diarte and all the other coffee shops. And every time I mention one, I get in trouble. Black cup, green cup, purple cup, wherever it is, you drink your drugs. Because somebody who does that in your life is a gift of grace. 
for whom uh, Bonhoeffer says, we fall on our knees and give him thanks. So this guy is a medical doctor. Uh, They gave him the name Liam. And Dr. Henry Cloud, I showed you the book cover a minute ago, is a Christian counselor. And this uh, world-famous heart surgeon, uh, when he was young, his, uh, his dad died. And so his mom was leading the family, and then she burned out and had to go be hospitalized. For four years, she was hospitalized. He said, I was about 14 years old or so, and I went outside, and I looked up at the sky, and it dawned on me, if we're going to make it, it's up to me. See, that's a key line. If we're going to make it, it's up to me. So he calls Henry Cloud. He says, you know, my wife's leaving me. I'm a sex addict. I can't control my sexuality, and I've ruined everything. I've ruined my family. I've ruined my job. I've ruined everything in my life, and I want to talk to you and get some help. Okay, I said, try this analogy. Doesn't a human heart have four pipes, two coming in and two going out? Yes, kind of, but go ahead, the doctor said. So it's as if you have two clogged veins. You're always pumping out, giving out, but nothing ever comes in, I said, instructing one of the leading heart surgeons of our day on how his metaphorical heart works. Your entire life is performance, giving out and never taking in, in terms of what you need to thrive. At some point, something has to give. You begin to look around for some ways to meet those needs and get something coming in. Get comfort, care. You found a pretty good way. One that a lot of high output performers have depended on for eons, sex. And it works for a while. The problem is that it's never enough to meet those unmet emotional needs, just sexual needs. You always need more like a drug. And the other problem is that now it has real consequences for your life, your marriage, your career, everything that matters to you. Liam had gotten into trouble by ignoring his needs for help from the outside, from others. And now to fix it, he had constructed a program for his marriage and health that is once again built on and solely dependent on his own solitary strengths. You have to come up with an answer that is actually the problem itself. It all depends on you. You're back to that night in high school when you looked in the sky and said, if it's going to happen, it's up to me. Well, Doc, what would your plan look like? I proposed that he look for help outside himself. Just as when people can't fix their own hearts, they call an expert. They don't do it to themselves. Look at it this way. How did you become a great surgeon? By yourself? No, You made yourself vulnerable and you went to others to help you. They imparted their knowledge and their expertise. They modeled it for you. They taught you. They corrected you when you made mistakes and when you felt like you couldn't do one more week of residency with multiple surgeries around the clock, they came alongside you and encouraged you. When you lost your first patient, they walked you through it. When you needed to learn the newest techniques or piece of equipment or treatment protocol, someone came along and helped you. The truth is that you are who you are, highly successful in that arena, because the power of other people has helped you get there. But in those areas, it was a lot easier for you to show vulnerability, 
No one expects a first-year resident to know how to do a heart transplant. It was easier for you to ask for help. And I'm positive that your patients are glad you're not a self-made surgeon. You learned from the best. Now you just have to figure out how to do that same thing in the rest of your life and not be a self-made human. Dan Johnson in Spain, he goes, Kent, we got to meet this guy. This guy is a really big deal in my life. We got to meet him. We get in the car. We drive all these curvy mountain roads in the middle of nowhere. And this guy that I meet is named Dan McCurry or Don McCurry, I believe. Famous missionary. Travels every weekend somewhere, every week in a different city, all the time in a different place. And, and I got to meet him. He, he's a, a very, maybe the world's leading scholar in evangelism among Muslims. And so I'm talking with him. And I say, by the way, uh, where's your home? He said, now that's an interesting question. I said, really? He said, I travel so much, I don't know where home is. He said, for the last 25 to 30 years, I haven't been in what is called my home for more than a couple weeks at a time in the last 25 to 30 years. So that reminds me, he said, I was in Calcutta. I was enjoying the moonlight, and, and uh, I looked out my window, and there was a tree, and there was one of the poorest of the poor. She was of the lowest caste of Hinduism. She had a little clay pot-like thing, and she had built a dung fire. That's how they cook in Calcutta, with cow dung, and they make a fire. And so on the cow dung fire, she has a little cup of water and a little scoop or two of rice, and I can tell she's getting ready for when her husband comes home. And so there she is, and I'm looking out the window just thinking, and pretty soon here comes her worn out, tired husband. And he comes home, and he's been working so hard, he doesn't even go right to the rice. He lays down, and he puts his head in his wife's lap. He goes, and Kent, that's when I got the answer to your question. My home is in the arms of my wife. Wherever that is in the world, my home is in the arms of my wife. When I say, who's in your fellowship, as you're going home to Father's house, you have two extra special benefits. Number one, I get to be in your arms, in your fellowship, on my way home, and that's a big, big blessing. And when I die, I get to be in the arms of God, who is another fellowship, and I get to be enjoyably embraced by the God who loves me more than anybody could ever love me. God, as we think about the tribes that we're in, we ask you for insight and grace. Amen. Turn on the light, open your eyes, put all your bags down, turn round, we are home. Even a town, it's where your heart lies each night you are.